You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, Todd and Kendall, the other two pastors on our staff, along with Marat, one of our elder candidates, we were all in Dallas for the last few days at a uh, pastor's conference. That thing actually exists. There is such a thing. And we were there. Uh, it, was, it was actually very encouraging, really, really helpful. It was fun to be around uh, other pastors and men and women in our network, uh, which is called Acts 29. It's a church planting network. So it was just very invigorating to think about what God's doing and where he's leading us. However, I will say that anytime I get away like that, anytime just the activity of my life stops for a couple of days, there's always this one moment where I feel this question just like pressing in on me. And I never know if I'm asking myself this question or if God is asking me this question or like some combination of both, but it's always some version of this. Here's the question. What are you doing with your life? It's such a miserably haunting question. What are you doing with your life? And because I don't want to be alone in this, I'm going to ask you the same question today. What, what are you doing with your life? Like, just think about all of your activity, all of your social media posts, all of your ambition, all of your conversations, all of it. What's it for? Where's it taking you? Where are you headed with your life? Uh, the Greek word for this is telos. And we're actually going to find that word in our text today. It's in Colossians 1, 28. We'll get there in a moment. But telos has to do with the ultimate aim of something. It means to be complete or lacking in nothing. And so telos often speaks of the goal of something uh, as it's designed for, when it's, when it's complete, when it's finished. It's also used to talk about growing up into adulthood. And in our text, there is this connotation of contrasting childhood and adulthood. Um, so telos is a destination, but it implies a direction. It implies a moving toward the goal, a growing up. So a child, for instance, is moving toward the end or the telos of becoming an adult. Hopefully. Please, God. Let me just take a moment to pray right now. You know, there's actually a lot of confusion about that these days. There's, uh, Forbes wrote an article recently called, Where Have All the Grown-Ups Gone? There's just a cultural commentary for you. Adolescence is two to three times longer than it used to be, uh, which explains a lot about our culture. But back to the topic at hand. Uh, we have this conversation with our kids sometimes because we don't want them to be like living with us in their 20s. Uh, so we'll talk with them about what, what kind of man they want, want to become. And one of the questions we often ask them at dinner is what kind of wife they're looking for. And they just give us blank stares like we asked them the meaning of the universe or something. I mean, they they have no idea what kind of life, wife they're looking for. They, they've never thought about that. It never crosses their mind at all. They're kids. They don't want to talk about that. And so I usually just end up telling them something like, well, you, you want somebody like mom. Not exactly like mom, because that would be weird, and you'll have to spend money for counseling and all that, but, but you want somebody like mom, somebody who loves Jesus and loves her husband well. I think mom's really pretty, so you want somebody you think is pretty. You know, somebody like, like mom, and then that conversation kind of goes away. A few weeks ago, Debbie asked Holden at the dinner table, she said, hey, Holden, what do you think is important about marriage? Like, why do you think marriage is important? He's nine. He, he put his hand on his chin like this, and he looked at her, and he goes, I don't know. You tell me. 
He's like, I'm nine. You're the one who got married. You should be, stop asking me these questions and just tell me what is important about marriage. Uh, this is obviously not our kids' favorite conversation at all. Uh, our kids like to talk about sports and silly things. They want to talk about how many bets I lost to Kendall on any given day. Uh, that's the stuff they want to talk about. And they would talk about the same kind of mundane stuff every single day because they're kids. They don't want to talk about what kind of man they're supposed to be or going to be or want to be because they're kids. And kids just want to be kids. Now, I think that this is where we find ourselves sometimes with God. In our own spiritual development, we're like children. Not in every possible way, not in every area of our life, but in some areas of our lives, we're like little kids. Our growth has been stunted somehow, and God wants to talk to us about these things. He wants to talk to us about what kind of people we want to become. More specifically, what kind of people he wants us to become and what it would look like to move in that direction and the telos for which we're designed. But our attention span for that is about like my kid's attention span for marriage conversation. Like it's, it's short. We're just distracted by so many things. We're entertained with such triviality that often we don't have time for this conversation in our minds. We want to talk about our struggles and we want to talk about how we're having a hard time connecting and our doubts. And I, I don't mean to belittle any of that. Our struggles are real. It is hard to connect in our culture. I think I just want to say what Paul's trying to say in this text, which is, hey, just for a minute, lift your heads up. Don't be so downcast because God is at work in your life. In Colossians 3, which we will get to someday, Paul says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. And then he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And so he's saying, your life has a divine telos. You will be revealed with Christ in glory. That is your future reality if you're in him. And that future reality has a very present implication, which is what he says. He says, your life, our life is Christ. He is our life. We are in him. We have taken up life with Jesus and he is going somewhere and we are necessarily coming along. Our life's headed somewhere in Christ. God's at work in your life. There's a divine telos for you. And it's in verse 28, which I already mentioned. Uh, Look at it in your text, Colossians 1, verse 28. Keep your Bibles open. I'm going to try to go in some order, but we're going to spend two weeks in this text. So today I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit just to talk about one subject. But uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here's the telos, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's where your life's headed, to be mature in Christ. And related to that, this is the thing Paul's trying to get them to see, and and I want to get us to see in this text, is that everything we need to get there, we have it. We can grow in our faith. We can gain wisdom and learn how to navigate life well as healthy adults We can become mature men and women because all of the resources and all of the knowledge and all of the power that's necessary for that end are ours in Christ. This is such good news for us today. Lift your heads. God's at work in your life. 
Let's, let's look into this a little bit and see how. Uh, read with me again this text beginning in verse 24. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let me, let me pause there. And uh, again, we're going to spend two weeks in this. So what I want to do today, let me give you kind of a big picture of what this text is about. And then we're going to focus in on this specific idea of maturity. And that, that's all we're going to try to do today. All right. Uh, here, here's the flow of what Paul's doing. If you've been with us, you know in chapter 1, because uh, we've been saying it every week, that Paul essentially is trying to say to them over and over and over, Jesus is enough. He's enough because he's all. He made everything. He reigns supreme over everything. He's enough for you. And he's better than anything else you could possibly give yourself to. And now we're, we're shifting into like Paul's personal ministry, and he's connecting that to their lives. And and essentially what he's saying is, what I've been telling you in theology, I now want you to consider personally. Not just that he's enough like on a test, on a theology test, but he's enough in your actual life. You can grow because everything you need to grow, you have in him. And so here's the flow. Paul has this ministry to the Gentiles. He calls it a stewardship from God that was given to him for them. And the ministry's hard. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but he's, he's suffering for the sake of the church. And it's not a surprise to Paul because this is all part of his conversion and calling. God said, I will, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. How's that for good news? Welcome in, Paul. Now, Paul's task in his ministry is in verse 25. He says, to make the word of God fully known. That's the work that he's about. And in this context, the focus is on making the fullness of the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ, making that fully known to them. Uh, This is how he defines it in verse 26 and 27. You can see it. So I want to make the word of God fully known. What is that word of God? Well, it's the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of the glory, the hope of glory. And so when Paul says, I want to make the word of God fully known, he's just saying, I want to make Christ and all he is and all he's done for you and all that he means for you fully known to you. Because everything you need is in him. The gospel is not a simple formula about how to get into heaven when you die. That happens. That's part of it. It's much more robust than that. There's a fullness to the gospel. And so we talk about it in multiple ways. We say that the gospel is proposition and power and a person. Right? It is proposition. It's a message. It's a body of content that's to be proclaimed and received and heard and believed. It's, it's content. But it's also power. It transforms those who receive it. 
and the propositions of the gospel and the power of the gospel are embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. John says it this way. He says, Jesus came, he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full, full of grace and truth. That's what Paul's saying. To make the Word of God fully known to them is to say, I want to make Jesus fully known to them so that they might comprehend the fullness of the truth of the gospel and that they might be transformed by the fullness of the grace that is offered freely to them in Christ. So this is the work of Paul's ministry, to make the Word of God fully known to them. And and to do that, he proclaims, verse 28, he proclaims Christ. Now, here's the, here's the goal or the end of his ministry. The work is to proclaim Christ, and the, the goal of it is in the end of that verse, to present everyone mature in Christ. That's Paul's goal for them. That's our goal for you as a church. That's God's goal for all of us, that we would be mature in Christ. I think sometimes we, um, we look at our lives and we wonder if that's actually true. We look at, you know, our circumstances which feel insurmountable. We look at the struggles we have that seem to like never change. It's always the same issues. Think about the prayers that we've prayed that seem to have gone unanswered. And it's not that I don't think we get to a place where we don't believe in God anymore. I just think we're not sure if he's actually at work in our life, that he really is taking us somewhere and changing us. And when that happens, we, our tendency is to start to grasp for anything that would bring some relief or that would promise to help us. And that's just not hard to find in our culture. There are all kinds of self-help programs and superstitious uh, beliefs and all kinds of spiritualities. And any of them would be okay for you to slap Jesus on it and call it good. But that's not authentic Christianity. It's syncretism. It's mixing Jesus in with other stuff, and that's not the gospel. Uh, one pastor has said it this way, that Jesus plus anything is, equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You can't mix them up with other stuff. The danger, of course, is that we start to define maturity in ways that God just doesn't define maturity. And so, though we may be doing all kinds of extracurricular things, and they may be giving us a sense that we're, that we're growing and that we're maturing, we're not maturing in Christ, and that's the goal. That's Paul's concern for them, that they would not look anywhere else, that they would look to Jesus and see in him all that they need for life and godliness. And that their urge to go deeper would push them deeper into Christ, that they would learn to believe the gospel more deeply and apply it broadly in every area of their life. That's actually the mission statement of our church to help each other believe the gospel and apply it in every area of life. And we've actually tried to bring that to the forefront this semester. Uh, If you've been involved in the life of our church, you've you've probably picked up on this, but our equip class, which is sort of like a training class, it's called Gospel Fluency. And it was just learning the content of the gospel and then working through a specific process so that we could figure out how to apply the truths of the gospel to the particular areas of our life. And uh, we weren't going to let you get away with not taking the equip class. So in all of your gospel communities, we've been working through a a systematic approach to gospel-centered change, taking principles of truth and working them out specifically in our lives. We chose to preach this 
series in Colossians because we knew we were going to be doing both of those things, and we wanted underneath that to make sure that we had a foundation in the Scriptures that proclaimed Christ, His supremacy over everything, and His sufficiency for everyone. We just did not want you to be able to go to our church this fall without knowing that Jesus is enough. And more than that, we want you to experience that personally. We want you to feel it. We want you to know it. We want you to act upon the reality that Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension to the Father, his sending of his spirit, his promise to come again, that all of that is, wrapped, is all we need. We want to be saturated in that reality. You may not know what you're doing with your life, but God knows what he is doing with your life. He is maturing you in Christ. And so with the rest of our time, I just want to take a look at what it means to be mature in Christ. That is such a huge question. But Paul gives us a couple of things here, a couple characteristics or marks of Christian maturity that I think are just really, really helpful. Uh, And and to find those, it's down in chapter 2. So let me read a few of those verses in chapter 2. It's all part of the same text. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen seen me face to face. And here's what his struggle is for. Here's what he's struggling for. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, let's stop there. So, the first mark of, of maturity in Christ is, Paul says, is that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to be strengthened with courage. He wants them to just feel like they're in a good place with God. And he says he wants their heart to be encouraged. Now, the word heart in biblical language is, is not like we would use it. We usually just mean emotions. That's definitely included. But heart in the Bible is like the center and the depth of who you are. And so Paul is saying, I want you to be the kind of people at the core of who you are, no matter what is going on around you, who are encouraged. You have inner strength and joy because God is with you and you know that that's enough. Man, that is emotional health at its best. That is emotional maturity. Uh, One of the ways our immaturity shows up is just how up and down we can get based on what's going on in our lives. And so when things are going well, people, you'll hear them. They'll be like, oh man, God is so good. Just provides. He's so good. And as soon as things take a downturn, it's like, where is God? You know, Uh, you feel confident when, you, when you're in control of your life, or at least when you think you are, because that's, that's a little myth. But when you feel like you're in control, you feel real confident about things. But as soon as you feel like you're out of control, uh, you're filled with anxiety and with stress. Uh, when people praise us, we feel great about ourselves. But when they criticize us, it's like we go into this mild depression all of a sudden. See, that kind of up and downness, that emotional volatility is a sign of immaturity. And we all have it. We all have that in different areas of our life. Todd and I have this phrase we, we use uh, called the inner nine-year-old. Um, 
which is just that in, in each of your lives, some part of you is still nine somehow, right? Because there was something in your life, and this is actually, there's some truth to this. Uh, there are things that happened in your life or didn't happen, events, things that were said or weren't said that just capped you emotionally. You never learned how to process those emotions or those experiences. And you learned it in other areas of your life, but not on this one. And so you might be really mature and really knowledgeable on all kinds of things, but whenever that thing is pressed in your life, you're like, you're like a nine-year-old. Like the way that you respond to that, the way you deal with that or don't deal with that is like a child deals with his life. And we all have at least one, but probably more of those areas of our lives where we're just, we have an inner nine-year-old. And Paul's saying, yes, God is working on that. He has a vision to bring you and your inner nine-year-old to maturity in Christ. He's making you the kind of person who can respond to life like an adult. He's growing you up. In fact, many of the situations that are exposing your immaturity, those situations that make you say, where is God? Those are, in fact, part of the program that God is using to grow you up. He's exposing those things in you, not to condemn you, so that, but so that you would turn to Christ and find in Him what you need for maturity. I've shared with you guys a bunch that um, my inner nine-year-old is connected to just a, a desire or a need for approval from others. And there's, you know, my, there's lots of stuff in my story that would make sense of that for you. But um, what God has done in my life is he's exposed that in very specific ways and usually through people that he's put in my life. So God has just been faithful and good to give me people that aren't impressed with me at all, that, that see right through the show, um, that experience me up close and who will lovingly tell me the truth about myself. And it hurts. Uh, there was this girl on our staff team, and this just sticks out as one example, long time ago, a uh, different ministry. And she just came up to me one day and she said, hey, I'm just wondering, how come uh, your humor is always at the expense of others, but Brett's humor is, is not that way? And Brett was this guy that I was discipling. And I was like, hmm, I don't know that. I don't know. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> you know, she, it hurt. It's painful to be exposed. But through many, many, many conversations like that, God has taught me to stop putting my hope, stop putting my worth and my value in the approval of others. When people approve, celebrate it. Be thankful, but don't put your life in it. Put your life in what God says about you, which is that you're in Christ and he's in you, the hope of glory. This gets us to the second part of the phrase. Paul says, the first thing I want for them, this mark of maturity is that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And being knit together in love isn't another or separate mark of maturity. It's the means by which our hearts are encouraged. In other words, we experience the, the gospel, the truth and the grace of the gospel in our relationships, in community with others. It's part of the gospel. Not just that God saves us, but that he saves us into a family. The gospel has made us, like it or not, brothers and sisters. It's knit us together in love. There were false teachers in Colossae that were saying, look, you need to go deeper with God, and you can go deeper with God by, by practicing, these, practicing these certain disciplines, and it was to the exclusion of, of needing others. And that's a problem. It's a problem today. I hear people all the time say things like, you know, I'm really, I really love Jesus, but I just I don't care for the church so much. 
And you may not say that, but functionally there is this sense that, no, you're into God and he's with you, but you're very apathetic toward his people and toward the church. It's such a foreign concept to the New Testament. Like you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Three times in chapters one and two, Paul has referenced the church as the body of Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church. Three times. He wants us to see that we are connected to each other in Christ, like the parts of a body are connected to each other. And the basis of our unity and our connection is Christ, who is the head. He is the source and the constant supply of life to every part of the body. If you want to grow up and to mature in Christ, you can't do that apart from your connection to His people, His body. They go together. Emotional health is is so connected to relational health. So many of our issues and our struggles arise from a lack of real community with people. Larry Crabb, who is a professional psychologist, wrote a book a number of years ago. It was sort of controversial, uh, but, but very helpful. And it's controversial because uh, he says in the book, and he's a counselor, he says, look, if Christians would love one another and engage one another in community the way that the Bible instructs them to, so much of what's going on in counseling wouldn't even exist. Now, let me, for the record, say I am pro-counseling. I love it. I, I encourage some of you to go to it. We have gone to it. I'm for counseling. I'm just saying what Larry Crabb, the counselor, said. And he says in there, look, if, if you guys do what's in this book, I might be out of a job. We need each other to grow. So to be mature in Christ is to be meaningfully and actively connected to the members of Christ's body, the church. And it's so important that I just want to mention two things that I think destroy this, that hinder us, that keep us from maturing in this way. Now, the first one is comparison. What ends up happening in church communities is we start to look around us, the people that are around us and the values that this particular church has, and we start to measure ourselves by how we compare to others. There's always somebody doing better in some area and always somebody doing worse in some area, and so we just tend to look at this person more than that person so that we can feel like we're doing okay. God is conforming you into the image of Christ, not into the image of someone else. That's not the, the telos of your life. God has a vision for your life. It's not in a vacuum. I mean, it involves other people, necessarily so. But it takes into account your personality, your gifts, your experiences, your story, your struggles. God has all of that in mind. He knows it intimately, and he has a plan to mature you in Christ, to conform you to the image of his son. And that is uniquely different than the way he's doing that in anybody else's life. Don't compare yourself to one another because it doesn't mean anything. Uh, The second thing is uh, self-sufficiency. Some of you are just determined to make it on your own. Your sort of MO is like, look, I'll I'll work hard, I'll practice disciplines, I'll, I'll clean things up, I'll get my life together, and when I feel respectable enough, then I'll put myself out there for others. I do this all the time, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. The way that you mature in Christ is for others to see you as you are and to speak truth into your life with love so that you can be exposed and that you can be pointed to Christ. It just doesn't work to clean yourself up first. That doesn't happen. 
And so that's how our hearts are encouraged and strengthened, by being in community with people who would speak truth and love to us. Not comparing ourselves to them, but working together so that the whole body, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, is built up in love. I have seen, uh, honestly, both kinds of people in the last five years in our church. I've seen people just determined to grit it out, to clean themselves up before they make themselves known. And what's funny about that is everybody can see that. You're already known as that guy. And honestly, I've just never seen it work. I see it get worse and worse and worse because they get more and more and more isolated. I've also seen people just bring themselves to the table as they are, let people in. I've seen people speak truth and love into people's lives. And over time, just over faithful presence with a community of people, I have seen people radically changed by the grace of God. It is beautiful and wonderful. God is growing people up in this church. It's great. So I guess the question is, is do you have relationships of speaking truth and love? Are you faithfully present with a group of people so that you can receive what God's trying to give you through them and vice versa, that you can give what God wants to give through you? Do you have that? first mark of maturity is that their hearts would be encouraged by being knit together in love. The second mark is that they would have full assurance. Look at uh, verse 2, chapter 2. So that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, So very briefly, to be rich with full assurance, means to have the kind of confidence that comes from knowing the truth and understanding how to work it out in your life. Uh, my, I had one goal this year. You had one job! Uh, I had one goal this year, and it was to learn how to make a delicious hash. You know what a hash is? It's just like a bunch of stuff thrown in together. It looks easy enough. I thought I could do this. And you're probably thinking, one goal? That's kind of lame. But if you knew how inept I was at cooking, you would think, that's pretty ambitious. Good job, dude. Way to, way to go. And I put it off, and uh, I don't know, a few months ago, I decided to go for it. And I took Holden, my nine-year-old, to the store because I would need his help. And we got all the ingredients together. We got home. We get in the kitchen. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. I've got, like, the computer up with the recipe. It's not like the cooking shows where all the stuff's in the little bowls, you know, and you just dump them in. That's not like that. And uh, Debbie, my sweet wife, who is a fantastic cook, was standing nearby, just kind of looking on. And she wanted me to to give this a go. She wanted me to give this a run. But she was also looking at the clock and thinking, we might not eat till tomorrow, like unless I get involved. And so very lovingly, she kind of came in and and helped, you know, just with some preparatory work. But we all know that if Debbie hadn't come in and helped, we would not have eaten. We would not have eaten hash, and that's for sure. Uh, Because I can't cook. I, I don't have anywhere near full assurance when I'm cooking because I don't have understanding or knowledge of what I'm doing at all. Now, if you gave me an article or a paper or something, you're like, hey, I've written this thing and I need you to edit it and give me some input and help me tweak it. I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. I can do that with my eyes closed. Let's do that. Because I, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I would be help. I have lots of assurance because I have understanding and knowledge of that whole process. That's what Paul's saying. He wants us to have full understanding and knowledge of the gospel so that we're excited about it. That we have a sense of what we're doing when applying it to our lives. Look, some of the reasons that you guys aren't excited 
about God, excited, eager to be with him and be with his people, it might just be because you don't know what you're doing when it comes to the words and the ways of God. And that's okay. That's not a condemnation. It's an invitation to learn and to grow in understanding and knowledge of the mystery, which is Christ. It's been revealed to us in his word. I watched a video yesterday. It was a montage of clips of Ellen DeGeneres giving people like cars and money and houses and just all kinds of stuff. And it's great. It's so much fun. And people are freaking out. You know, I mean, they're just screaming and crying and they're laying on the floor. I'm like, I mean, it's, it's a car. That's cool. But I mean, it's like their whole life has been turned upside down. And you know what I thought when I was watching that? I was like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That is how we should feel every single day because every single day we wake up and God is already at work in our lives. He's been at work all night long because he doesn't sleep or slumber. Every day there is grace upon grace being lavished upon us in Christ. We should, above all people, should be freaking out every single day because we have Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says that Jesus is like a storehouse. He's just stockpiled wisdom and knowledge, endless supplies of it, and we have access to it. We can draw upon it anytime we want. And the mature person is the one who draws upon the storehouse of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ in order to live his life every day. That's the wise person. That's the person who walks in maturity. But we are so distracted by lesser things, so content with entertainment and triviality, that we have not developed a taste for the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are ours in Christ. Let me just give you one almost silly but little example, and then I'll close this. Uh, Every night, what I want to do, like just what Will wants to do, is watch a TV show. Just every day is long. It always ends with like wrestling the kids to bed. And I'm just tired. And every night I'm, I go into Debbie and I'm like, hey, you want to watch a TV show? She's not as into TV shows as I am. So we don't watch a TV show every night, but that's what I want to do every single night without fail. And uh, last week, I had the end of a long day. I went into Debbie. I was like, hey, you want to watch a TV show? And she was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, yes. And then she says, you know, that'd be awesome. Let's do that. But but I was also hoping and thinking, I would love for you to like, just like read some scripture to me and pray for me before we do that, and then, and then we can watch a TV show. And I was like, yeah, sure. You can't say no. To, like, Husbands, here's a free one, all right? You can never say no to that request, ever, 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 ever. And uh, I knew that wouldn't take very long anyway, and then we'd, we'd watch the show. So we get into bed, and uh, I just open up to First Peter, because it's a short book, and I read it to her. We just read the whole thing, front to back. And then we pray for a little bit. I don't, it didn't take very long. And the weirdest thing happened. It's not weird, but it just it's, it surprised me. I didn't want to watch a show. It'd be fine to watch a show. It wouldn't have been wrong to watch a show, but I honestly just felt full. Whatever was in me that was longing to be entertained, Whatever hope or, or comfort I was looking for, I found it in First Peter. I found it in Christ. And I'm not trying to be like super spiritual because that's an anomaly for me. But I was wondering, like, what else is like that? 
How many areas of my life am I settling for lesser things when the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are right here at my fingertips? Paul wants us to look to Christ and to see in him our salvation, past, present, future. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he is in us the hope of glory. We just don't need anything else or anything more than that. Look to Christ. One way we do that every week, and this would be a great first step as you think about maturing in your faith, is we look to Christ in the communion meal. Uh, This meal is really wonderfully symbolic of of what we've been talking about today. Because the first thing uh, in this meal is that you, or about change, is that you have to believe that God wants to change you, that He can and that He will. And the greatest assurance we have of God's commitment to us to grow us up is that He gave us His Son. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus are all the assurance we need that God is committed to us. The second thing about change is, is um, you have to do something. You have to put effort forth. And when we take this meal, you have to like come up here and eat it. And I know that's not much, but it's something. It involves intention and effort. And there's this weird myth in Christianity that anytime you start talking about intention and effort and work, we somehow abandon grace. That's simply not true. I love the way Dallas Willard says it. He says that grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning And so we're not saying, hey, work out, get your maturity stuff together, and then God will accept you. We're saying, no, God has accepted you. Now draw upon that grace that is yours in Christ and mature and grow up. Come and take the meal, take the bread, take the wine, eat of it, and be nourished in Christ today. And then finally, We come together, which is an intentional thing. We walk up here together to take this meal. It's a family meal. And so as you're coming up today, I want you to just take note of the people around you. Don't stare at them because everybody feels weird taking communion already. Just just take note of them. Give thanks for them. These are your brothers and sisters. They're for you. Maybe pray for them. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.